It's Dan Dan the Science Man on This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper. And I'm David Cooper. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, the show where no one's listening. No one cares. The show where every episode's the last episode. Well, bat biologist and science educator Dan Riskin comes on the show every other week to... Well, he tries to talk science stories, but I always end up derailing him. And to me, that's the fun part of this interview. So let's talk science and also not talk science with Dan Riskin. David Cooper, Daniel, I wasn't going to sing back, but I just got excited, Daniel Riskin. That's the thing with singing, you can't help it, you can't help it, it's singing, makes you feel good, and like, you know, it's a rainy, snowy, cozy day, I just got my winter tires put on, that's why I'm a little late coming to our taping, and uh, boy, nothing really makes me feel good like having winter tires on the car, it makes me feel like I'm a good dad. Don't miss that. That is the thing I miss the least about living in Canada. I lived in California and owned a car, well, leased a car, and I've moved to New York and don't own a car. I have a motorcycle, but it doesn't have snow tires because I'm a fair weather rider. (laughs) It's a motorcycle. You're not supposed to ride a motorcycle in the winter. I mean, people put like these knobby tires on them and ride in the snow down ski hills and shit. I don't do that. That's crazy. Yeah, that's silly. Don't do that in New York. No. But yeah, I just would remember leaving the tires on too long in the summer and waiting too long to get them on and then they'd wear out and you'd have to replace them. It was just a whole... And like, where do you store them? Do you keep yours at the mechanic shop? No, I store them. I have a shed that they fit in. But I I will say that I did have the experience, as I always do, whenever I do anything car related, where I get a phone call and they're like, well, we've got your tires off and your brake pads, boy, are not looking... And I'm like, I feel like at some point in the not so distant past, I had something done with relating to brakes, but I can't remember, but I didn't believe him. So I said, nah, let's just leave that for now. He's like, are you sure? Because this seems, are you sure you should do it soon? Are you sure? Because I need the extra money to buy my family Christmas presents. (laughs) Exactly. So I said, I stuck to my guns. And then when I picked up the car, he's like, yeah, you really, they're like this and they should be like this. And I said, so what am I going to hear squeaking when they start to go? Now I've been on the 401 in a car with the brakes when they failed. Like when the, the, like I drove, when I was a master's student, we had what we called the bat van and it was this van that belonged to the lab and you could use it if you were doing something lab related. It was great. It had a big bat painted badly on the side. Like I really wish they'd kind of made a good bat on it, but I borrowed it and I was driving back on the 401 from somewhere, I think from out near Kingston and like the brakes full on failed. Like I was in stop and go traffic and I would like push the brake as hard as I could and the car would slowly start to think about slowing. And it was just like, it was very unsafe, but I got it back to the university and parked it and then told the supervisor that it needed to be dealt with and didn't use it again for a couple of weeks until I knew it was fixed. That's the beauty of being a bad student. I, unlike you, was warned and well, I just, I didn't take my car to the shop. And so the pads wore down to the rotors or whatever. And they worked, but you'd hear this horrible rumbling, scratching, like, like imagine trying to stop a dirt bike on a gravel road, that feeling of bumpiness as the gravel, that's what it felt like to press the brakes in the car 
And then, of course, one of the rotors needed to be replaced, which was much more expensive than brake pads. So, I don't know. Maybe this is a PSA to get it done. Yeah, because you broke it. That's what the guy told me is if you wait till you hear noise, you're going to hurt the parts that are more expensive to fix. And so, I'm, but I don't know. I just don't believe him. I don't trust him. Like, it's just, I don't trust him. So, that's what it comes down to. So maybe as such a good dad, I'm endangering my family. We're going to drive to Florida and I'm going to find out part way through North Carolina that we have no brakes, but it's mostly, mostly flat. It's not a lot of downhill. You're driving to Florida on those brakes? Well, I'm worried about you now. Yeah, I'm not stopping. It's not stop and go so much. It's pretty much just cruise control. So it should, we should be fine. There's very little braking on the way to Florida. So what else is new in the world of Dan Riskin? Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, let's see brake pads um snow tires yeah driving to florida what else we got um let's see i've been trying to figure out how to use chat gpt to uh make my life better i've been trying to figure out ways to leverage it to uh be more be better at what i do because there are things that i'm not very good at that chat gpt might be good at and so like Things like, hey, my website, nobody ever goes to my website. What should I do to make it better? And ChatGPT is like, you should put quizzes on your website. And it's like, okay, how do I do that? And then it's like, you should install this plugin and it's free and la da da. So like, I just followed its directions and now I have these quizzes on my website, these science quizzes. And so my traffic has gone up infinitely because it went from zero (laughs) to like, I don't know, a handful. So... Uh, it you know just pl- but for me it's not really about i'm not really that driven to get people to my website because it's not like that makes me money or anything like that but i am curious about how one uses tools like chat gpt productively wow and like without having chat gpt do the things i'm good at and, tr- and like trying to offload those like i'm good at taking a science story and like summarizing it and i've tried to use chat gpt to do that and it doesn't do as good a job as i do so okay fine but are there other things relating to my job that chat gpt could be doing for me so that i can spend more time on the things i'm good at and so i'm exploring that right now and it's been fun it always falls back to ai with you and me the last few months but i'm okay with that i like you have decided to use it to make my life better I do use it to summarize and write. I have dyslexia, so I leave words out. I misspell words. I read things one way in my brain, but on the page, they look totally different. Huh. One time I was overslept and reading Shakespeare, Macbeth in high school. And I was, I think Macbeth, I think at one of the climaxes of the play, he says to Macduff, do you take me for the Roman fool? I don't know. That was just a line that said in Macbeth that I had to read in class. Mm-hmm. And I've been watching Star Trek. So what does my dyslexic brain read? Do you take me for the Romulan fool? <laughs> I got laughed at. Yeah. I'm sure you did. You just got laughed at again, but laughed with more than at, because you sort of prefaced it by talking about a disability. And I'm not going to laugh at somebody about their disability. Funny you should mention that. I always had weird shame around writing and reading, and especially in a professional setting or academic setting. It might have been why I leaned towards coding and computers and shit Hmm. and away from the humanities. Don't know. But one day, I've told this story before, but it's a great one, at least for me. I was at work and this executive who I looked up to, who was like an engineering executive, was giving a presentation to this whole company. It's a public company, a big company. And there's the other executive sitting in the front row of this, uh, you know, a company-wide assembly. Maybe 200 people are there. Probably another 300 are watching it on Zoom. Short guy, cool guy, really smart guy, handsome guy. And he puts up a slide in front of the whole company and there's all these typos. Huh. And so the CEO, because that's a jokey vibe they got going on, she stops him to make fun of him in front of the whole company. Uh Uh-oh. 
And this guy just turns to her. He's like, I'm sorry I had a typo. I have dyslexia. Next time if you see a typo, just let me know and I'll correct it. But it's really hard for me to get everything correct because I have dyslexia. Shut up the CEO. But for me, it was this moment where I was like, you can just do that? (laughs) You can just tell people you have this disability and then they won't make fun of you? And that's what's just happened with you and me. I think if I told you that story, you would have been like, idiot, Romulan fool. But then you're like, oh no, you have have a disability. It's funny, but now I'm laughing with you because it's funny, not at you. Yeah. Interesting. You know what? So part of what you said there, just getting into the story is you thought that because of this disability, you were pushed towards coding. That is one of the hypotheses about why so many women end up not doing coding and end up doing other things is that uh, young uh, girls tend to be just as good at math as boys, but they also tend to be quite good at writing. Whereas boys tend to be better at the math and the writing doesn't come until a little bit later for them developmentally. And so it's thought that girls are sort of in this position where it's like, well, you're so good at the writing stuff. Why don't we focus on that for now? And then they just never get back to the coding. So it's not like a deficiency. In fact, it's it's the opposite. It's that boys have this deficiency in writing. And so that's where the girls end up going. But there is no deficiency for girls in the math that they've found. So um, who knows how it all comes together. But your trajectory supports that hypothesis or the way you described your trajectory supports that idea. I love this because I think a lot of people come to the conclusion, okay, there's more men in STEM, men are smarter, but this completely breaks that. There's more men in STEM because men are dumber. (laughs) Yeah, they're dumber. And so that's all they can do. And and yeah, exactly. So, but uh, I mean, who knows? I mean, the world's changing and these things get studied and and the world, you know, it's hopefully the the world my kids are growing up in is different. But I think, I mean, it's amazing when they come home and the, the way they talk about, say, gender diversity or a kid in their class that that has a different gender now like all these things that would have been totally alien in my perspective growing up um they take in stride and so it gives me a lot of hope like society is quite malleable society can improve we have the ability to do that and as the world changes we're going to see that all these things that were just true when we were kids is is not necessarily a, a prison sentence. I'm going to make a wild assertion here, but I'm pretty sure it's valid or at least has some basis in the truth. If you'd read a psychology, psychiatry, peer-reviewed paper in the 20s, hmm. you would be horrified by some of the conclusions. I'm sure there's papers validating hysteria. Yep, yeah, or brain size. So there's a whole lot of writing about Brokaw's brain. So there's a guy named Brokaw, and he measured how big men's brains were and how big women's brains were and men's brains were bigger because men are bigger and so he said men are smarter and let's now look at a gorilla brain well women are pretty much in, they're in the gor- gorilla range so they're about as smart as gorillas or something like i can't remember exactly where it went <laughs> i'm laughing at the absurdity not because i think women are as smart as yeah it's absurd yeah you, you're okay to, to laugh and but that it's it's interesting that it, it seems laughable now because it's so dumb but he was a smart person who came to that dumb conclusion as a result of biases that he didn't realize he had. And so one has to have the, the humble uh, self-awareness to wonder what we are blind to that we ourselves are saying so that just what we said so far, if played 100 years from now, just sounds so ludicrously stupid. Um, you know, we're, uh, we try to be better, but I don't know. We're, we're still using the same analog brains that, that, that the gorillas are using. True, and you should take comfort. Oh, fucking wait for this fucking siren. Jesus Christ, New York. No, it sounds like they're coming because you made. I made such a good point that it was lit, and now the fire department is coming. Well, now I got to leave it in because now it's like it's one of those moments in a podcast behind the scenes, left in, unedited, uncut, and I completely lost my train of thought. 
That's okay. Well, we were talking about uh, how our brains haven't improved. We're still using them. Are we getting better? We try to be better. Anything like that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So all these wild, you know, medical claims made by experts in the 1800s that are just completely off and offensive. You should take comfort that if your findings one day are offensive and off, you'll be dead when that happens. So you won't have to be embarrassed. Yeah, that's the best way to avoid embarrassment. Sorry, I said that in a way that makes it sound like people should kill themselves. That's not what I meant. But it's a very effective way to not be embarrassed is that when people are dead, they they are not embarrassed. Like Harvey Kellogg, the guy from the Kellogg's Institute, the guy from the company Kellogg's, he was into like, I don't know, cutting off the clitorises of women who masturbated too much. He was wild with some of the shit, but none of his findings in his lifetime were discredited. Uh, are you aware of how wackadoodle Harvey Kellogg was? No, but you just ruined cornflakes forever. <laughs> yeah, he was very interested in young girls who masturbated too much in fixing that as if it was a societal problem. Very interested. A lot of people are interested in that topic generally, but usually with a different conclusion. People should be interested in 18-year-old people masturbating. Why not? That's fun. 18 and older. But, you know, he, it was a different angle. Like, he thought it was wrong. He thought it was... <sighs> You're doing the sigh where you're like, okay, being on David Cooper's podcast makes me look bad. I get it. I get it. No, no. That was, I was sighing at, at Kellogg. Oh, but also that. I will fact check everything you've said, but uh, yeah, and the general idea. But uh, yeah, it, I have to say these conversations don't come up on other places where I talk about science. <laughs> but that, you know what? That's part of the marvel of, of David Cooper. Did you buy a house? Yes. Asterix. I'm waiting for approval. <laughs> From the board of the con- the co-op board? Yep. So did you give them a letter? Did you write a letter saying how great you are? Oh, my God. I 194-page application, Daniel. No, that is not true. That is an exaggeration. No, exactly 194 pages. Now, 100 of those are uh, the tax returns from the last three years, so I had to give them a copy of my taxes oh. with my social security, or as you in Canada say, social insurance number blocked out. You did block that out. Yeah, I redacted it. I mean, I didn't want any really sensitive... And my bank account numbers and stuff. How long did it take you to redact 100 pages of tax returns? So you do a search and replace for all the things you thought were important? Yeah, search and replace for my social security number. Yeah, okay. We're talking about chat GPT and you don't think I know how to use fucking search? Jesus. Uh, Is it digital so that they could select it and see the numbers and it's just covered with a black box? Or did you have to like then... How do you hide it digitally? So you need to burn it in to the PDF. This is actually, for me, a lot of people are going to find this boring, but they should know this stuff. If you draw a black box over sensitive information in a PDF and hit save, that information's still in the PDF. That's what I thought. You can think of it as like a layer, like the text is underneath the black box. Visually, you can't see it, but in the actual file, the document itself, it can still be extracted by highlighting, by fancy tools, not even that fancy tools, to be honest. Not even fa- a highlighter is not a fancy tool, but I would I would click and I would drag and see if the number suddenly appeared. So you need to use a redacting tool that underneath whatever's underneath that box gets deleted. Uh, the technical term for that is burnt. Like you burn it in. You're basically burning everything underneath it. Uh, so yes, I did redact it properly. What I would do, and I would look for a burner tool now, but I guess what I would do is I would put the black box over it and then I would take a screen grab of it and then save that as a new PDF. But you can't do that a hundred times. That takes too long. 194. And then like bank statements, brokerage account statements. What about the letter? Tell me about the letter. Did you write a letter about how great you and Miranda are? I mean, sure. I mean, we weren't, we didn't talk ourselves up too much. Tell me 
What did you say? I want to know what you said in the letter. That we're quiet people, good neighbors. Like, I don't know, standard stuff. We're good neighbors. What do you mean you don't know? You wrote the letter. I, I mean, be specific. I want to hear it. I want to know the tone. I want to know. <sighs> I want to know how David Cooper, because like your whole shtick is to talk about it. I'm terrible. <laughs> I have terrible sense of humor. I make lots of bad life decisions. I'm a bad person. I take pictures of my genitals and send them to people. La da 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 da. And then I want to hear what it sounds like when David Cooper's like, but actually, I'd be a great neighbor because I have a cat. Well, there's the performer David Cooper, and then mm-hmm. there's the neighborly David Cooper. They're different hats, and I wear them both. It's not like because I'm full of shit on my show that I'm going to burn a building down. I care about my neighbors and my community. Come on. You do. You do. You are a caring person. I would put that if I were asked to write a reference letter, and I'm a little hurt you didn't ask me to write your reference letter because I do have a PhD and I can sign things. Dan Riskin, PhD, uh, if you ever need a reference letter. But I would have said you're a kind and you take care of your community, that you're community-minded and that you are uh, uh, have a good sense of right and wrong and that, you, that I would trust you. I, that's what I would say in my reference letter. There's six reference letters, okay? Six? And I, I'm not in your top six? Who is in your top? Like, tell, like you don't have to give me names, but like p- people you've known longer, family members, people who... Are elected officials, professional comedians that everybody knows from the movies. What? Who Who makes the list above me? I thought we were kind of tight. Letter of employment from Miranda. Previous letter of employment from a tech company from me from before I changed careers to whatever the fuck this is. Too personal. So like close friend. One in New York who's also a co-op board. Like he's on the co-op board. Oh, that's good. Good. I'll take that. Yeah, I think he's a president, so he's like, okay, I know David. He'd be good on a co-op. And I know what it takes to run a co-op. And this guy... That's literally what he put in his letter. I know what it takes to, to run a co-op. It's like, this. Is it, are you really interested in this? It's all just like boring standard stuff. I love boring standard stuff, man. And then one letter of reference from someone I both worked with and then managed in the tech industry. Oh, wow. You were their boss. And then here's where you're going to be a little jealous. Uh-oh. Because it's someone who's in your circle and sphere, and I chose them above you. Who was it? Jim Richards. Okay. Well, you know what? Jim Richards is better established than I am. He was my literal co-worker. We were both hosts for the same network, same job. Yes. Uh, I was on his show every night. You know, I he he's probably the best positioned person at my former employer to give me a reference. I think that's a, that was the right call. That's, a, that's the right call. How was his letter? Uh... Amazing. I mean, it was, I, I can try to read it to you. I'm writing to emphatically endorse David Cooper. Yeah, see, I wouldn't have used emphatic. I never, that word would never come to me. You made the right call. Jim Richards was a good call. I, I got nothing but respect for that guy. And uh, I mean, I would choose you first, but he's on my list after you. I mean, if I need a reference letter for a co-op in New York. If they wanted three professional references, I would have put you on there. Yeah, but Jim, I worked in broadcasting this long. I've known David this long. Here's what he did. David has a background in software, blah, blah, blah. But at his role in Bell, he was competent, reliable. He was consistent. He de- I delivered thoughtful, high-quality reporting. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Uh, yeah, and then, like, I interviewed high-profile Canadians, and I... Sure. Chris Hadfield. Yeah, yeah, Chris Hadfield. And listen, if I'm going to choose between getting to write you a reference letter for your co-op or... Being the person you name drop when you're talking to Chris Hadfield, I will definitely take the latter. And I'm very proud that you brought me up when you were talking to Chris Hadfield. But I would say we missed something. Something's come out in the news lately about astronauts that I want to ask Chris Hadfield about. Odds are you're going to get him on your show before I get to talk to him. So (laughs) 
<laughs> he is not allowed. <laughs> I can't remember whether I got permission to talk about the forbidden question or not with you. Did I reveal what the forbidden question was on this podcast? I don't know if you said it on air, but I know because you told me. I just can't remember if you played that on your podcast or not. I never would have played it, but I asked Chris Hadfield a question so bad that he will never talk to me again. You think that he won't, or has he said he won't? Uh, well, he said in on the phone to my producer, so, may, you know, nothing in writing, so. Yeah, he may forget. He won't forget. Okay, but what were you going to say? The question. Onycholysis. So, I'm O-N-Y-C-H-O. L-Y-S-I-S. Onycholysis is... A type of salad. No. It's losing your fingernails. Onico means fingernail and lysis means cut. And so apparently when people do spacewalks and they wear their space suit with their space gloves, it hurts a little on their hands and it's really common afterwards for their fingernails to fall off. Now they don't say which astronauts this happened to they said that it correlates with the width of the fist so how broad your knuckles are at the top there if you made a punching fist the broader they are the more likely you are to lose a fingernail uh it goes back but it's like there's something about like circulation or something that's happening during spacewalks that uh is causing these problems and that's the thing like I want to know if he ever lost his fingernail or if it was somebody else or if he knows who it was. If they like, I mean, like astronauts got to be talking about this stuff. Like, listen, you're going up there. Here's the stuff that's not in the news that you got to know. One, you're going to find that this happens. Two, you're going to find you get really itchy here. Like, there's got to be the, like the inside scoop. And by definition, they're not going to tell you on your podcast. But nonetheless, it does make me like that's proof. Like in one paper, there were 200 and something incidents cataloged of astronauts with hand injuries that they kept that they told nasa about that's 200 times that is there aren't that many people that have gone to space so i'm just saying like how come we we never heard about it until now that's my big question i feel like what else are they hiding so you want to know all those little things that aren't widely published that's astronaut to astronaut private information once you get approved to go up there they'll tell you in a little secret booklet hey, your fingernails are going to fall off and other things. Yeah, and it smells bad because I felt like that was my inside knowledge was it smells really bad in space. And so then I dropped that knowledge to you because I heard a rumor that it smells really bad in space, but astronauts don't like to tell people that. And then Chris Hadfield goes on and says, Dan's a nice guy, but he's never been to space, which is <laughs> fair enough. I haven't been to space. And by the way, you should get your reference letters from Chris Hadfield. I think that you could probably do whatever you want with that but um he did point that out that's some shade right there dan's a nice guy but he's never been to space <laughs> that's what he said on your podcast i was driving listening to it and i just about pulled over to catch my breath and i was like well uh, you know what you're right chris adfield i can't disagree with you but nonetheless he denied that it stinks in space he said it doesn't smell so bad on the international space station he said maybe on other i forget he i think he said maybe on some earlier spacecraft it might have been stinkier but that it's fine on the iss but anyway so he, so I was wrong about my rumor about it being stinky in space, but you can't deny this rumor about people losing their fingernails. And I will just give you the useless, boring tidbit that I cannot help myself, but I have to say, onycholysis is a great word because there's a bat that was described in 2008 called onychonycterus. And nycterus is Greek for bat. Onycho means fingernail. It's a fossil bat that has fingernails. It has claws on the ends of all of its fingers. And modern bats don't have that. Bats have a claw on their thumb. The one family, the pteropodids, have a claw on the first, on the second digit, like your index finger. But all the other fingers have no claw at the end on a bat. But this fossil bat that's 50 million years old 
was on the cover of Nature in 2008, and it's called Onychonicterus because it's got these claws on it. And I just memorized the name Onychonicterus. I didn't know Onycho meant fingernail. So anyway, when I learned about the space astronaut thing, it made me love bats all the more. Wow. So boring. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that's, uh, that's, your, that's the price you pay for knowing me. It always comes back to bats with you. All right, you got another story that you, you prepared because you're fucking consummate professional. Uh, bats with giant penises. Oh, yeah. I mean, we got to talk about this. Yeah, we have to. So uh, there is a bat. It is found in Europe. It's called a serotine. It's not called the, the Dan Riskinus, named after an appendage that <laughs> matched the, the person that... Okay, never mind. Go on. If I had a penis the size of this bat's, scaled to my body size is the key relative to the body size your penis to body ratio as it were if it were the same as the bat yes thank you exactly 22 percent length 22 percent body length so i'm six foot two that's just over a 16 inch penis jesus christ just to put it just to give you a sense of what you're dealing with when this bat flies into your roost so this bat has an enormous penis but not only is it extremely long but the female vagina is a seventh that length it's nowhere like you could not fit that inside it won't fit and then the second thing is that the penis has a heart-shaped protuberance at the tip that is seven times wider than the opening to the female reproductive tract so it's just like what is going on with this penis it's the wrong size it's seven times wider and longer than it needs to be and indeed, they started making some videos because they thought, first of all, they had some like, they noticed that when mating was happening, they didn't see it go in. They were like, does this thing just not go in? So then they watched, I think the number was 87 different mating events. Some of them filmed using a camera in the attic of a church in the Netherlands. And some of it recorded at the Bat Rehabilitation Center in Kharkiv, Ukraine during the war. And they got all this footage and they say that it doesn't go inside, that it stays outside. And, and so anyway, people have been, you know, impressed by this, but they, you know, it does sort of beg the question, like, why is it so big? So it was an open question about whether this thing could even fit inside. And so th these researchers filmed, I think, 87 mating events. Whoa. That's... And not once did they see it go inside. That's kinky right there. 87 times. I hope none of those people were perverts. They probably were. No, no, no. They're bat biologists, and bat biologists are completely trustworthy at all times. So uh, anyway, they made all these videos, and uh, one of the videos is, has been released. I have it on my website, so if you want to check that out, you can see it. And it's funny because I get emails from other bat biologists, and they're like, have you looked at that video? Because it looks like it might go inside a little bit at this moment. Like, people have clearly, like, watched this and, like, zoomed in and, like, been like, Not a lot, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> it's, it's what that song was about, I think. Oh, well, boy. Um... Anyway, so, but, but it's neat because uh, all mammals that are known put the penis inside. That's just what mammals do. And this might be a mammal that doesn't do that. This might be a mammal where it brings the sperm to the outside and drops it off. And then it has to sort of like go in. It has to leak in or whatever. But it never, never actually gets placed inside, which would be really weird for a mammal. Frottage, I think, is what that's called. What's it called? Frottage. That's like the word for... Uh, the sexual act of just rubbing up against each other, but not actually going in there. Really? I, there's a word for that and I'd never heard it? Amazing. Frottage. Yeah. Like sexual rubbing of the genitals. It's a, it's a, it's a, the proper term. Like if you talk to a sexual health educator, they'll call that frottage. Really? F-R-O-T-T-A-G-E, frottage. 
Frotage. It rhymes with fromage. <laughs> and it's just as delicious. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what that is, give or take. Yeah, give or take. I did not see that word in the scientific paper about these bats. Uh, but anyway, there's been a couple of emails floating around between different bat biologists who were like, I think I've seen these bats actually doing it. Like one researcher says in the 60s, he remembers like picking a male up and the female hanging off of him. So maybe sometimes it does go inside, but certainly they have lots of videos where it didn't go inside. And so that may be a way that they mate sometimes with this frotage, as you call it. Um, but anyway, it's just neat. I, I love that stories like this are coming out in scientific papers and we could talk about them. I just, I think the world is a funny, kinky place and full of surprises. Well, when I first slept with um, my current girlfriend, Miranda, she paid me a very nice compliment. She wasn't going to tell me I had a big member because let's face it, Dan, I don't. But she did say you have a very good penis to body ratio, which I thought was such a thoughtful compliment. And I, I don't know, it really it gave me a lot of confidence that I still carry with me to this day. That's good. I've I've never said that about you, but I don't I don't think I've ever seen you naked. Which I, and I'm not complaining. That's fine. Unusual. Most people who are my friends, Dan, have seen me naked. Right. And again, I probably would have gotten to write the reference letter. Maybe maybe I'd be better for the reference letter because I haven't seen you naked, and I wouldn't have to bring up your incredibly good penis to body size ratio, which which apparently is one of the features. I'm sure that that's in other reference among your six reference letters that must have been in there somewhere. So let me give you a little background on what I did for Thanksgiving. I've talked about it a lot on the show, but I do think now is the time to bring it up again to get your take on it. My brother came in from Canada. I've met your brother. Oh, yes, of course. You did meet my brother. Yeah, in person. Yeah, at the radio at CFRB News Talk 1010, their studios. But, uh, oh, yes. So he came in and my friend Tony, who's a regular contributor on the show, came in from England. I had a big dude, 12 people. Whatever, all my friends and out-of-town friends and all this at Thanksgiving at my house. At the end of the meal, it came up that everyone at the table had seen me naked but Tony. Huh. And so I didn't get naked, but I showed Tony a naked picture of me, to which my brother got very competitive with and showed Tony a naked picture of him. We passed the photos around the table. I didn't look at my brother's and he didn't look at mine because we have boundaries, Dan. <laughs> I think siblings, like siblings, that's the one person you're sure to have seen each other naked at some point. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I don't think we were into seeing each other naked for whatever reason. But we were asking the guests who looked better naked and who had the better, you know what. And um, mm -hmm. uh, Tony thought this was very odd. And I, I, I didn't think that was odd at all. If you had been sitting there and I handed you a photo that heavily <laughs> was focused on my penis and my brother then handed you one, would you think it was an odd Thanksgiving? Or would you just be, oh, this is all fun and games? Well, I'm already at David Cooper's house for Thanksgiving, so I'm a little bit like I put on a different sort of set of expectations when I come to Thanksgiving at your house, because I assume in the same way that all of our conversations are different from the conversations I have with other people, that this is probably not going to be typical. And so uh, it would be weird, but in the uh, by the same token, it would be not weird because it's it's kind of what I expect from David Cooper's sphere. But if I showed you a video of a movie of someone getting shot in the head, you'd think that was totally normal. Why is violence okay, but not nudity? No, you shouldn't show me that video. I would be perturbed by that. No, if you pulled out your phone and said, look at this video of somebody getting shot, I would I would feel much worse about that than the penis thing. I'm just saying in TV and movies, violence is so normal, and a naked body is like, oh, no, what a weird thing. If I showed you a clip from like an action movie, from Die Hard, of someone getting shot, you wouldn't think anything of it. That's someone dying. You know, the movies are changing, though. So there's a, I wanted to watch uh, a kid's movie with my kids. And I was like, you know what? The 80s, there were so many good movies. And so I just went and I was like, here's one I didn't even see. Jumanji. 
So I was like, okay, let's let's watch Jumanji, like the old original Jumanji from like the 80s. The movie starts, There's uh, it starts like 100 years ago and some people bury a box in the woods and then it fast forwards to the future and then there's like this box that's getting uncovered while they're digging up to put a house in or something and this kid finds it, and it's this mysterious box. Fine. But then he's on his way home and a bunch of kids come and bully him and beat him up for no reason because they're trying to build sympathy for the character and probably he's going to get his comeuppance later. But that like premise that happened in all these 80s movies where, oh yeah, yeah, sure, like Sure, the the neighborhood kids, 12 of them come together and punch you in the face a bunch of times, and that's just what happens when you're a kid. Like, my younger son was so shocked and terrified by that idea, because he had never seen that trope in any movie, read it in any book. Just, it was like, and when you think about it, it's like, actually, that's the appropriate response. If 12 kids ganged up on you and punched you until you bled, like, that is actually a very scary, terrible thing to have happen. And maybe a thing for the court system to resolve. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, like he lives in a world where that does not happen, which I, I think is wonderful. But also, he lives in a world where that doesn't happen in a lot of movies. And so, I, I think that, you know, your point about Die Hard, Die Hard might be a bit of a dated reference. I, I get it that, like, you know, movies today still do have a lot of violence compared to kissing and hugging. But, you know, like... Movies today have gay characters all over the place, and that would have been just shocking when Die Hard was a movie. So, like, things are shifting, right? And I think it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm feeling super hopeful today. I don't know why. I'm just in a really hopeful, think the future is going to be great kind of mood. Have you looked at the climate projections for the next hundred years? Yeah, I have. And that's why it feels unusual for me to be so hopeful. But I really do think, even the climate stuff, like, I really do think technology will save us. I don't know if we'll be saved or if things will just change in a way that we might wish we still had things the way they were, but we'll find a way to persevere. I just, I, I really would like fish <laughs> to keep on existing in the ocean. And I would really like for humanity not to have a giant collapse in population as a result of our overusing our resources. And I would like for there not to be plastic absolutely everywhere in all things. But um, I don't know, man. I just, I still feel hopeful. People are resilient. We've got new technologies that are coming out and people are creative and people want a better future and things are changing. I don't know. I just, I feel like there's no point in getting down in the dumps because we just don't know. And it's really self, I don't know, self-fulfilling prophecy if you start getting down in the dumps about it. True. But look at Venus, Dan. That's what the runaway greenhouse gas effect can do to a planet. Yeah, sure. Venus is the, Venus I don't have much hope for. Venus is is very hot. What is it? 800 degrees Celsius on the surface or some crazy thing like that? Like it's hot. Balmy. Don't bring a sweater. You don't need a sweater there. No. Maybe a gas mask and a corrosive resistant suit. But then you wear space gloves and your fingernails fall off, so it's a lose-lose. Mhm. Well, anyway, you slice it, you don't have fingernails. Right. Cuz either they burned off or just it's fallen off. If you ever are dating and you want to play He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not, you know how people take petals of a flower and the He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not, don't play it by ripping off your fingernails because it'll always be He Loves Me Not because it's an even number of fingernails. That, that assumes that I haven't lost a finger already in an earlier test of love where we were like, whoever loves the other one more, cut off your pinky, you know, or something like that. There was a, Speaking of movies that scar you... What was it? Was it Twilight Zone or Amazing Stories? I feel like it was one of those. And it was about a woman who, oh man, she was this old lady and she collected people's pinky fingers. And so she like 
she created some kind of gambling thing where like if you won you got a ton of money but if you lost you had to cut your pinky off and so like this guy like was in a hotel room in vegas and he has hand tied down and and they the the pinky was isolated and it was on like this it was on the cutting block and she was and and then the person like she wasn't even the one doing it it was like this a whole bunch of people and there was the guy who's got the 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 butcher's knife is holding it up above the hand and basically it comes down to this card or this roll of the dice or something and if he wins he doesn't get his hand cut off and if he loses he gets his his pinky cut off um and and then in the end there's like this reveal that she was actually lying the whole time she never had the money so he wins but he never gets a payout and then the police come and take her away and he risked it all for nothing and he got nothing in the end got to keep his pinky i mean that's pretty good yeah yeah it puts it in perspective i think the pinky gets a bad rap don't you need your pinky toe to like balance properly doesn't the pinky toe i don't know i don't know what good the pinky toe is i've never really looked at data on you call yourself a fucking scientist i know that's that's in my wheelhouse i feel like i should have seen something on that but i haven't i haven't seen anything on that but i do know uh they made a prosthetic this is before the pandemic, I think twenty maybe during twenty twenty ish, they made a prosthetic thing where you wear this glove and it's got a, a thumb on the other side. So now you have opposing thumbs on the single hand. So you're 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 you have four fingers out the top. You have a one thumb on the one side and then you have another thumb on the other side, and it's activated by your toe in your shoe. And so you can wiggle your toe and it moves your other thumb. And they found that people were really really quick to figure this thing out, and it became totally intuitive very very fast. And they used it as this example of like, listen, we could talk about prosthetics for people who have lost a thumb, but we should also talk about prosthetics for people that might want an extra thumb. Like this could be super helpful. Like why are we assuming that the human body is perfect and that that's what we sort of aim to? Like why not, why not enhance it? Why not give ourselves extra thumbs? I wonder if you could somehow wire up an extra appendage to a piano player, like a virtuoso. Ah, Six fingers on each hand, seven fingers on each hand. Could they play more crazy shit? I don't know. Or would it be too much for the brain to handle? I bet some of them could. I mean, that's the thing. Musicians, like, every time they do... Uh, musicians doing anything... Actually, I was talking to my brother about this today, and he was he had a good line. He said that, like, when you see somebody drumming and singing at the same time, he said, for, for him, that's David Blaine. Like, <laughs> he has no <laughs> idea how, how a person could do both those things at the same time. Because it's it's just, like... If you if you're normal, if you're a muggle like me, you can't play the drums and sing. There's no way. But yet they do. But with piano, you're already kind of isolating the left and right hand, especially in more traditional music where the left hand's mostly rhythm or mostly like backing chords, the chord progression, uh, you know, and the right hand sort of the melody. So you're already kind of you know bifurcating the the melodic bifurcating the melodic lines. Yes, you're bifurcating <laughs> the melodic. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you're playing two things at once. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's another question. If you could have an extra arm that you could attach to any part of your body, where would you put it? Would I use it to bifurcate the melodic lines? Well, now you could trifurcate it, but let's, where would you put it on your body? What's the ideal place? You've got an extra arm. It's the same length as the arms you've already got. Where do you put your third arm? Oh, my penises? I don't know. Okay. Out of my chest, right out of my solar plexus? Yeah. There's no wrong answer here. I just would curious to know. I mean, Coming out of my chin? Yeah, out of your chin is a possibility. Um, I like the idea of having one maybe sticking out of my back, like uh, where your wings would be kind of a thing, so you can like... Oh, you could scratch yourself with that. Well, it's a little hard to scratch things like close to your own... Sh like if you think about it, it's really hard to, to scratch close to your own arm. But I feel like if you had one 
on the top of your head, that'd be really helpful because you could reach down and do stuff. Like when you're playing the piano, you got another arm that can come down and play the, the <laughs> trifurcation of the melodic. And then, you know, you can, uh, you can wipe your bum. You can do all kinds of things with arms in different places. Wow. This is something to think about. Yeah, it's something, it's something to think about. But it's, the point from this paper was like, let's think about it. Because the idea, that, to the, the idea that we're made in the image of a perfect God is obviously outdated, right? So, okay, what, what might we do? What might we do differently? You're saying there is no God? I implied it. <laughs> I'm titling this episode Bifurcating the Melodic Lines. I just think that was the most pretentious thing I ever said. You playing two melodies at once. Oh, you've said more pretentious things than that. <laughs> Fine. You, you... But it's up there. It's like a, it's above the 50% line of, of pretentious things I've said. Sure. And if you were to bifurcate all the pretentious things you've said, it would be in the upper melodic of that bifurcation of the pretentious. Yeah. Of the various me's that I am, if there's a meat and potatoes version of me, that one's not bifurcating the melodic line. So I'll tell you that much. <laughs> no, exactly. 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 I look forward to having you on again, although we've crossed the line so many times on this episode. I'm left wondering, not for the first time in my interactions with you, I'm left wondering, will you ever come on this show again? (laughs) (laughs) We'll find out. Find out next week on This Is Going Well, I Think. (laughs) Find out next week when bifurcations with, yeah. Um, No, we might bifurcate now. I mean, if I was going to leave, this would be the time to do it because then that's what the melodic would bifurcate here. (laughs) Uh, Dan, thank you as always for your time. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. I wish you the best and good luck. I hope that your reference letters, especially the one from Jim Richards, are well received. Now, are you going to be away? Or, like, when will we speak to you next? Uh, I think we're good for our next one. We're good. Oh, well, mm, Two weeks from now. Two weeks from now, yes, we're in. 15th, yeah. Good. I love the show that uh, on the show you schedule the show. That's a great show for me. Yeah, people love that. That's that's uh, that's what they listen for, is so they can put the oh, let me get my calendar. Great. <laughs> they screw, they zoom all the way to the end of the show when we talk scheduling, so that they can follow <laughs> it along on their calendar. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, Dan, thank you again for your time. Thank you, sir. Have a good one.